If you're visiting with us, you should just know that we have been working the entire summer and this early part of the fall through a section of the Bible in the Psalms called the Psalms of Ascent. These Psalms 120 through 134, in which Israel, God's people in the Old Testament, were told to use these songs as a playlist for their pilgrimage up to the city of Jerusalem for the great feast throughout the year. So to be anachronistic, when they came up for Christmas and Easter and those sorts of things, they would have these songs that they would sing at those seasons as they walked up and made pilgrimage with all the other tribes up to Jerusalem. And so today, we come to the very end of our Psalms of Ascent. Uh, Next week, we'll start a new sermon series. It's going to last about uh, seven, eight weeks, including Marathon Sunday. It's eight weeks. Uh, And we're going to be asking the question, why church and why now? Especially whenever the church in America is in its most historic decline uh, that it's ever had. Uh, Why? Why should you consider church at this time and in this place? But today, we end our pilgrimage with Psalm 134. Uh, Let me just open us with a, a quick moment of prayer, and then we'll reflect together. Father, even the best words and the best preparation are but a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal if they are not communicating the love that you have for the world in and through Jesus Christ. And so by the power of your spirit, for each person here, would you give them even just one thing that they need from you this morning to be convinced that you know them and that you love them and you are at work in their life and in this world. We pray that you would sanctify this time to that use and purpose. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, It was fun to see that we were just singing about friendship because I'm starting my sermon with a little bit of a reflection on friendship. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Jameson, and the other pastor that's up here is Pastor Brian. Uh, We have been best friends for almost 25 years, uh, and there's been ups and downs in that friendship. We've never really questioned it, uh, except perhaps twice in the last year. It's come really close, and our other friends were really worried whether or not our friendship could survive this incredible challenge, which is we are both hugely passionate fans of our college football team, and they were finally meeting again on the gridiron. And so friends were worried that this classic matchup between two epic teams that we both love uh, and have some history with are going to play on the field, and we are going to watch it separately from each other. We're not watching this with you. And then our friends, some of whom you know, pastors that used to be around here in Resurrection Brooklyn, have this thread, and they were writing us, and they were very worried about whether our friendship would survive this challenge. What would happen to the person who won? Would they gloat? What would happen to the person who lost? Would they sulk and say, I don't want to be your friend anymore? And so it was at this point in the middle of the game that these pastor friends texted us the quotes to this song. Friends are friends forever. If the Lord's a Lord of them, and a friend will not say never, i got to get more wispy, because the welcome will not end, though it's hard to let you go, in the Father's hand I know, a lifetime's not too long to live as friends. A little pitchy, but there's the thing. You guys know this song? So if you know it, here's the part where you hold hands and we do key change, friends of friends, right? Now, if you had the misfortune, or I should say the fortune of the rich cultural experience that was to know Christian contemporary music in your adolescence, then no doubt you sang this song by Michael W. Smith at a camp 
or at any other, maybe at a graduation, any other ending, right? You come to the end of something, you're like, oh no, we've made such special memories and it's all over, but friends will be friends forever if the Lord's the Lord of them. And our friends were reminding us this during the football game. Maybe you had a more fortunate experience and you weren't, um, yeah, I guess I'm showing my colors there. You just got to have a more nice, good, secular experience of music. Uh, so maybe for you, if you're a Gen X anyways, uh, you would have sung uh, Into the Road by Boys to Men, right? Although we've come to the end of the road, I can't let go, it's unnatural. You belong to me, I belong to you. And if you did experience this, then that song probably haunts uh, most of your memories of your adolescent breakups, right? See, we have songs for endings, and when things come to an end, we're trying to make sense of endings, and endings happen all the time. They're often hard, endings. Sometimes they're really bitter and totally unsatisfying. A breakup, a career that doesn't work out, a divorce, a friendship you've been engaged in and then they move, or even sometimes they're bittersweet, like graduation. A beautiful time is over and you have to move on. The end of camp and a mountaintop experience. Moving out from home. Even a promotion at a new company where you're interacting with different people. Endings can be really hard. If there was anything good of the experience, then it's hard to move on. Of course, there are endings that we welcome. I know we were counting the months and days till the end of the pandemic and for it to be over to move on. But even then, we're actually under bad circumstances, asking when will it end because we want to get to a new place, a new phase. More often in life, I think, we wonder this question, not just when will something end, but how is it going to end? Our friends being lighthearted, we're worried that the end of this game might be the end of Brian and I's friendship, right? How is it going to end? Is it going to end well or poorly? Is this thing in my life going to end up to my satisfaction or to my disappointment, in my success or my failure. We're seeking, as we make pilgrimage, a satisfying ending to our story, a place to finally settle down and be settled. But we wonder, how does it end? Because we wonder, what sort of story are we in? Is my life ultimately a story that is a tragedy. Oh, look at all the data. It sure seems like it might be. There's this failure. There's this sadness. There's this thing that happened to my culture. There's this thing that happened to all my work. There's this that I can't get over and I keep doing. I think I might be living a tragedy and that this is just going to come to a sad conclusion and then be over and that's it. Or are you in a story that's a comedy? One that, yes, has its challenges, but that you know somehow at the end, even if it's a good ending, like well done, or whether it's sort of cheesy, at the end, the confetti's going to fall, and the enemies are going to be reconciled, and the people are going to get married, and everyone's going to celebrate, right? What sort of story are we in as human beings? And I want you to be not so cute about it. Think about your life and the data that you look at each day, and how do you answer the story or the question, what story am I in? Are you in an absurd and cruel joke? Or are you in an inexplicable gift of a story? And it's such a gift, and yet you wonder whether it's going to go away. Is there no meaning? 
Is there no ultimate story of stories? Is it just what you can make sense of and carve your own little path and make your own little meaning out of? We answer this question all the time with our choices in school and debt and career and how we treat our parents or our children, how we think about the climate. What does that tell us about what kind of story we're in? Our culture. If you find yourself a pessimist or an optimist, perhaps. Pessimism and you just can't keep going back to despair and the idea that you're only in a tragedy. Or you can be an optimist but still not be really living according to a beautiful comic story. Instead, at the end of the day, you can say, well, look, we're just going to be food for worms, so I'm going to get as much as I can out of this life right now. Whatever makes me happy, whatever I can do, whatever I can get without hurting someone, I'm going to get all of that, knowing that it's going to be over. I would just suggest as we dig into this text and as we reflect on Christianity as a whole and what it ought to be proclaiming and embodying to the world is, and people have used different words for this, that we're actually living in what one writer called a eucatastrophe, that word you from the Eucharist, and good means you, means good, sorry, you, the phrase, a eucatastrophe. That is that we do live in a life that is at times and often catastrophic and full of crises and trials and challenges, and yet there is a goodness that is endemic to it and will survive. Or a tragic comedy. That we are very honest about the tragic nature of life and of the world, and yet we believe that it ends in everlasting joy and laughter. This is the story of the story that God tells in the Bible. It's one that He's perfectly honest about our tragedies, our sin, our failure, our alienation, the things we do to harm one another, our systems and our interpersonal hurt. Honest about Satan and about death and the powers that keep us down. And yet also insists that life is full of minor comedies meant to give you joy and life and perseverance. And that these will add up and end in eventually a major comedy when all things are made new. If this is true, as we've been saying week by week, then life is best lived, not just as an individualist trying to get the most out of it or avoid the tragedies and get as much little comedies as you can. But instead, life is meant to be lived as a pilgrimage in which everything that happens to you along the way, the tragedies and the comedies, minor or major, are a part of what God is using to transform you into a person who is ready to walk into the sacred destination of his presence and his kingdom, his shalom, his peace, his flourishing, his life, and his love. This is the home that we are meant for. This is the destination before us one of my favorite writers was a pastor here in Shelter Island until he died. Robert Farrar Capon says this, For all of its rooted loveliness, the world has no continuing city here. It's an outlandish place, a foreign home, a session on way to a better version of itself. And it is our glory to see it, to see it so and to thirst until Jerusalem comes home at last. We were given appetites, not to consume the world and forget it, but to taste its goodness and hunger to make it great. Half of earth's gorgeousness lies hidden in the glimpsed city it longs to become. Isn't that lovely? This is the destination. The kingdom of God, the city of God, the presence of God coming to this earth to flesh and bone and spirit people like you and me. This is the sacred journey we are meant to constantly be making pilgrimage toward, to work towards his ending, 
of the story. Literally a walk day by day in his unfolding story, his history, this way of life, this journey where we're open to change and danger and newness and adventure, that faith is this lifelong pilgrimage of adventure and growth and challenge and change toward God's shalom. And this is the story of the whole Bible. It's always a story of pilgrimage where God tells us, get up from where you are and go. Seek something I'm going to show you. Seek the land that's out there. It's filled with milk and honey. It's filled with righteousness and justice and peace. All, all the terrors of war will be put down and transformed into tools that you can farm with. The lion will down, lie down with the lamb, a child with a snake. So get up, Abraham, and go. Moses, go. Israel, go. Disciples, follow me. Believers, go to the ends of the earth and teach them all of these things. Teach them to walk in the way of pilgrimage, the way of Christ. We are called to seek to make pilgrimage toward this end. And what's at the end? Maybe we wonder what will we see when we get there? What will it be like? What will the others be like? What will it sound like and smell like and be like? What will I be like there? Will all of me fit in? And the Lord gives us the end of this playlist. The last song that they were to sing when they got to Jerusalem. They're now there. They're there now. They can see everyone. They've been making pilgrimage. Like, you were coming from the other side of the mountain? That's amazing. Here you are. I haven't seen you in a year. And they are meant to sing this song together, Psalm 134. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. Those who stand by night in the house of the Lord, lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. That's the song they are to sing when they get there. A song full of blessing. Describing flourishing and joy, ecstasy, beatific experience. The way of discipleship that begins in their small, ordinary lives at home and has been filled with all sorts of trials and temptations along the way, but also hope and aspirations. And they finally arrived in the city. When they get there, they're hearing the sounds of all of God's people singing, Be blessed. Bless you. Bless God. Bless everything. And these two words that show up here for the word bless. This is the end of the story. The end of the story is an end of blessing, a story of blessing. And the two words here translated blessed in our Bibles, one is ashray, which describes this sense of sort of having it all together. You know, maybe on your best day, when you're at home in your skin and everything just seems to be working for you and everything you've ever hoped, it just opens like the Red Sea and you walk right through it and it's all just happening. Maybe it's a little bit of a taste of that. This sense of having it all together, a sense of well-being that comes from living in tune with God, living in tune with his creation, living in tune with your deeper self, living in tune with your neighbor. Psalm 1 describes it. Blessed is the one who stands, does not stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And he is like a tree planted by streams of water that bears its fruit in due season. All that they do flourishes. This is Ashrei. When you arrive, you are to sing one another. 
Come, bless the Lord, bless him, but also you be blessed. You be made to be like Ashrei. You flourish. You be well. The other word is barakah. It describes what God does to us and among us. His entering into covenant with us, which is just a story with an irrevocable promise attached to it. He pours out his own life for us and in us. He shares the goodness of his spirit, the vitality of his creation, and all that we can, uh, we can make of it. The joy of his redemption. He empties himself out, as we heard in Philippians 2, pouring himself out into his body, the church. And this is his blessing to us. It's him working his blessing into us that we might be blessed, Ashrei. See, God shares himself generously and graciously. He enters into our need. He anticipates our goals. He gets into our skin, as it were, and he understands us better than we do ourselves. We know this. We know the source of this blessing, and we can count on the covenant coming true, the the promise in the story becoming true, because of what Jesus has done. He lived a life of blessing. You heard it. He did not consider his equality with God something to be clung to, but instead he came down and became one of us. Sitting at God's right hand, he left to go on sojourn and make pilgrimage with us through our deepest fears, the shame of our sin and alienation from God, the hurt and blame and insecurity we have as we are alienated one from another, the sort of precariousness that we experience, alienated from the creation itself. He came to go on pilgrimage with us and to bring us back into God's shalom through his death on the cross and his resurrection to make sure that we would know his presence was with us always and that God's first word and his final word is always, yes, I'm here to bless you. Never question it. I am with you through everything. I pour out my blessing into you that you might experience the state of being blessed. And when you experience a state, you are made to be a blessing. That's why it says, bless the Lord, bless one another. All y'all get blessed, right? That's what the psalm says. God blesses us. We bless him back. We respond with what we've received. And we become a part of this beautiful dance between Father, Son, and Spirit, between God and his people. We get blessed and we give back our blessing. We bless others and we receive their blessings to us. And that's what I want you to hear is when you get to the end, you are meant to hear the sounds of blessing. You are meant to hear it come into your ears and into the hands extended and embraces and food that's offered and given and received. All of these things are meant to be God getting his blessing, his barakah into you that you might experience Ashrei, his blessing, this well-being, this wholeness, and then share it with one another. Eugene Peterson has a great commentary on these songs. We quote him almost every week, and I love the way he, he illustrates this. It's as if we are calling out to one another. Did you have a fight with your spouse on the way here? That's all right. You're here now. Bless God. Did you quarrel with your neighbor while making the trip? Forget about it. You're here now. Bless God. Did you lose touch with your children while coming here and aren't sure just where they are at the moment? Put that aside for now. They have their own pilgrimage to make. You are here. Bless God. 
Are you ashamed of the feelings you had while traveling, the grumbling you indulged in, the resentment you harbored? Well, it wasn't bad enough to keep you from arriving, and now that you're here, why don't you go ahead and bless God? Are you embarrassed at the number of times you quit and had to have someone pick you up and carry you along? No matter, you are here. Bless God. He says, God is personal reality to be enjoyed. We are so created and so redeemed that we are capable of enjoying him. All the moments of discipleship arrive at a place where joy is experienced. Every step of ascent toward God develops the capacity to enjoy him, to be blessed by him. There's more and more and more to be enjoyed as we go. And then we steadily acquire the ability to enjoy the blessings. Then he says here, best of all, we don't have to wait till we get to the end of the road before we enjoy what is at the end of the road. That we get to know it's waiting that anticipation, and actually science just tells you this. You can go talk to neuroscientists. Uh, anticipation is actually more pleasurable than, uh, than getting what you want. It's a deep motivation for us here, that God has implanted that in us, to want, to long, to desire this kind of blessing. And so they made their way up. Their pilgrimage was concluded. They got to the end, and they heard the sounds and the promises of blessing all around them. They began to take it within and to feel blessed and to extend blessing, to be a blessing. They had this powerful, if temporary, experience of shalom. A powerful, if impermanent, experience of the true end of their lives and of the world. Here they were bringing in their sheaves and their grapes and their unblemished sheep and their fattened calves and their cute kids and the best crafts from every village and joy, feasting, new friends met, old friends reunited with, shalom. It's like the greatest state fair in the history of the world, right? With God. And then they all went home again. They held hands, maybe, and saying, friends are friends forever. <laughs> or we've come to the end of the road. It's really hard to let go. It's unnatural. But they had to go home again. Someone turned out the street lamps and the lights in the temple. The trumpets and the horns and the drums got stuffed back in the closets and the choir dispersed. The pilgrims checked out of their rented rooms and their inns. They started the trek back down the mountain and they returned to their ordinary lives, to their smaller joys, like pets perhaps, and fields to water and family, and also to their failures and their former tragedies and their ongoing trials and the empty chairs at their tables. to their aging hands and their hair. And this time, they would head down the mountain in silence, unsinging. There were no psalms for this. They were focused on their feet so as not to slip and fall. They went perhaps faster, but a bit, little more labored because now there was no anticipation of the great feast, just a reminder of their list of things to do at home. And in the silence, descending from the city of Shalom back to their fragmented little homes and lives where they often felt alone and responsible to make their own meaning out of the stuff of their lives, they would begin to have questions again and they would float in their minds 
how's this going to end when I get home? I've got to have that conversation with my husband. How is this going to go? Man, was what a week it was. I wish I could live here. What an experience. What a glimpse. But how is the story of my life going to actually end? Will I make of it a tragedy? Is there hope that it will be a comedy? What will God make of it? Is he in the details of my life back there? This harvest that I've been working on, will it fail or succeed? This truce we've been enjoying, will it last? This sickness in my child, will it go away? My hope that barely keeps me going, will it get snuffed out? These questions will ring out in their silence. But so will the notes of those sweet songs they'd sung and heard, taken up by a vast pilgrim choir around them. The melodies, the sights and smells attached to those tunes, the memories of the long trek up the hill they'd endured, the rocks they'd climbed, the slips that didn't end in a terrible fall, the wild beasts and the robbers they'd avoided, the transformative week in the city of Shalom, the harmonies that had been part of what would always remind them that their story is meant to end in blessing. And maybe as they remembered the tunes, come, bless the Lord, all of you, that sound will remind them of the smells and the sights and the experience and the sense of well-being that they'd experienced. And they would begin to think, well, maybe this little end is like the great end. Maybe this end will be my end. Maybe this end is just the end of a chapter, not the end of the book. This glimpse and foretaste is maybe of the end of all things. Maybe for us, friends, you and I today in 21st century New York City, making pilgrimage here week after week to God's house, maybe there's hope for us that blessing might follow us home into our apartments, into our relationships, into the places where we lack shalom in our lives. Maybe we are meant to go down in silence and to believe and to remember that these songs follow us and bring the good story home and into our lives with us now. Hope for us that even when we're perplexed and distressed, we might never be crushed or driven to despair, as Paul puts it. Hope for us that no matter how much you think the end might be tragic or meaningless, there is a bigger and truer story, a more lasting story, and it is being told every day. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that he is indeed making all things new and there will be a final resurrection and an indestructible kingdom of God here on earth. There will be no more sounds of sorrow, but only laughter and mutual blessing, blessing upon blessing, blessing pouring down, blessing getting deep within us, blessing going out to the ends of the earth, flowing down the mountain until it covers every square inch of this world, including every inch and every single thing that happens in your home, in your house, in your heart. Blessing. This is the end you are waiting for. If you are making a pilgrimage of faith, this is the end you are walking toward. May God bless you in his name and in his house. May you be home at last. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.